Welcome to 15 Minutes to Wellness by the American Council on Exercise. I'm Dr. Michael Mantell, the ACE Senior Fitness Consultant for Behavioral Sciences and your host for this series. My goal today and for every podcast in our series is to discuss some small steps you can take to help you better your life and find happiness through optimal health. In each of these podcasts, I'll be interviewing a leading health and fitness expert, someone who's making a difference and who can make a difference in your life. I also want to welcome the hundreds of thousands of folks searching for positive ways to make fitness and nutrition a part of their daily, hectic, busy, tight, and budgeted lives. Welcome, everyone. Uh, With me today is a very special guest, a colleague of mine at the American Council on Exercise, Chris McGrath. Chris is a senior consultant for fitness for ACE, and he's founder of Movement First. Chris is a health and fitness coach who's been in the fitness and wellness industry for many years, back to 1988. Chris, welcome aboard. Thank you, Michael. Glad to be here. Chris, you specialize in functional movement, sports performance, injury prevention, weight and lifestyle management, post-rehabilitation work, and you work with people at all levels, all goals. You're based in New York City, and I'm looking forward to talking with you about some of the snafus, some of the problems that are out there in this world. You see it all, and I, I know you write a lot for ACE about some of the myths and problems that are out there that people are running into. Let's start by asking you straight out. What do you think is the biggest myth in fitness today that you hear from your clients? Yeah, there are definitely quite a few things out there that uh, it seems that people are getting steered down the wrong uh, direction. Um, It's hard to pick necessarily the the biggest thing. I think it depends on which pocket you actually uh, walk down. But I think for the most part, it it still seems like some of the things that that we've been preaching for years just don't seem to want to go away. And one of the most common things is is the concept of spot reduction. Kind of along those same lines are the popular terms that continue to perpetuate other myths like feeling the burn uh, and things that, that are not necessarily bad, but they're things that don't necessarily clarify the best direction for people to take. So you mean feeling the burn is not necessary if you're going to get fit? No. Well, what I always say is, first of all, feeling the burn is very simply a a, a chemical reaction that takes place within the body within certain types of training. And you'll even notice that some muscles feel it more than other muscles. You know, you could fatigue your deltoid with do some light weight and do some high repetitions. And most people complain that they feel the burn. The quadriceps feel the burn quite regularly, but we don't necessarily feel that in other muscles in quite the same way. For example, if you were to do an exercise that fatigued your latissimus dorsi, it wouldn't necessarily feel that same burn. Therefore, the burn is, does not necessarily equate with having a great workout. It tends to serve as, I think for a lot of people, as some form of immediate feedback. And for many, it's, it's an immediate gratification. I guess a lot of people like to feel the burn. And as I say, there's, there's nothing wrong with the burn. And if you feel it, you don't have to uh, avoid it, but you don't necessarily have to chase it. And so if someone comes into your program, Movement First, and they sign up for training with you, you have a master's degree in exercise physiology, a BS degree in health education. You've got more certifications and letters after your name than anyone I know. Uh, you're, the guy who know you're the guy who knows what to do. 
the civilian, the person signing up, has no idea other than what he or she has read or watched on TV, the biggest loser, they expect you to be a drill sergeant. What are they going to find when they, they say, Chris, I need some fitness training? What are they going to hear from you? Uh, well, I like to think the truth. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> okay, and I'm sure not, they're going to hear the truth. Yeah, and that's not necessarily to suggest that everything else out there or a lot of these other popular things are not the truth, but sometimes they are hyped up in a way that gets people focusing on things that may not be the most comprehensive way to look at it. So for me, I feel like the name of my business hopefully captures a lot and that the concepts that I instruct people with and when I first meet people is I let them know what the name of uh, Movement First, what it represents, which is very simply that if you don't move well, you can't train well. So therefore, I actually tell people I don't consider it my job necessarily to get you in better shape. I consider it my job to get you to move better because if I can help you move better, then I can also help you to move more. And as you move more, then you can do the math. You determine what's going to happen with your fitness level, right? So, so for me, it's just about putting the right pieces in the right place at the front end to create the appropriate foundation and then make sure that we're progressing at a natural progression without necessarily uh, giving into uh, what I like to call the fluff. And so perhaps you're, you're starting to talk about uh, one of the major myths, and that is uh, just go out there and lift weights and just go out there and run, and as long as you're moving, it's okay. You're saying, no, 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 no. There's a proper way to move to get stability and mobility and the kinetic chain and the spinal column and all that moving in a proper way first before you go out and hurt yourself. What about this whole 10,000 steps a day, any step is a good step? Well, you know, the, the health coach in me, of course, actually really agrees with that concept. And I do point that out to people that, in fact, while the concept of movement first I, I say there's a figurative, there's a literal uh, interpretation and figurative, and, and the literal is what I just described about movement, uh, proper movement, making sure we're doing things well before we're doing things a lot. But then there's the concept of health coaching and behavior change and, and, uh, and lifestyle management, which you and I have had uh, tons of great conversations about, and where I will say to a degree that any movement is better than no movement. There are going to be people, and as a corrective exercise expert, I do work with people that I look at some of their, their movements that maybe they've had that we would call uh, poor or dysfunctional for you know, 30, 40 years of their lives. And I don't necessarily look at things that I can reverse them back to what the textbook says that we should have people look like, but I do always look to make improvements. And then as we continue to progress our training programs, we are moving forward in, in a safe way, but also obviously in an effective way. You're a pre- and post-natal certified exercise specialist, fitness pro. It's an interesting specialization, pre- and post-natal. I'm not sure that we've talked about that on our 15 Minutes to Wellness. Talk a little bit about that. I know that we have women who are concerned about those issues. Uh, sure. Yeah. Well, it's, it's what's interesting is is and a lot of the the folks that I've learned from, and I have uh, taking many courses, and I would prefer to read as much as I can from women who have actually lived it. <laughs> and uh, right. a lot of us can study it, but uh, you know, I've I've really learned a lot from uh, from the women that teach these courses who have actually had children, and they speak from their experiences, and even share some of the changes that have taken place through the guidelines over the years. And what's actually quite interesting is while there's plenty of science uh, and certain things, specific things that you have to be concerned about, you know, as far as, you know, how to load the body or as you progress through the different trimesters, 
most of it's common sense. And for the most part, I don't find, well, I guess the, the two challenges that I might find actually happen on opposite ends of the spectrum. There were some women that don't want to give up the high intensity training that they're doing. And then there's some that might be discouraged from doing anything because the pregnancy may be hitting them very hard and they may not feel up for it. And with that second group, the words that I can give for encouragement, if it, if it matters coming from a man, but it's uh, the words of encouragement I actually share from other women who, who always, you know, basically they say the ones that are most diligent with their training, not about going into to maintain a specific intensity, but just to keep showing up. I've asked them, how do you how do you do it? How do you keep showing up? And what I always get for the answer is something to the effect of, I just know that I'll feel better. And we could say that probably for the entire population. But while I may not feel great walking in, I do know, and I've already gone through it, they, they always say, I do know that I will feel better after I've done it. So that provides their motivation to, to stay in. It's not very sexy. It, it's not about, you know, trying to keep the weight down. It's actually about how they feel day in and day out. What about the idea, and I think it's a myth, that women who lift weights will bulk up? <laughs> All right. That's, there's another one of my favorite topics. Um, well, you know, there's a couple of things, and actually it does go from both extremes. You have, in many cases, uh, and this kind of summarizes, I think, a lot of our topics, is it's just not that simple, right? So there's... There are in many cases you've got certain myths that perpetuate that if women start lifting weights, they're going to bulk up. And then there's also sort of the science side that suggests women can't bulk up. And, th and that argument is because women do not have the same levels of testosterone as men, and testosterone is the hormone that helps with improvements in, in muscle development. And uh, But you, you've got to look at two other things. Number one, there is the, the genetic factor, and you can see even from male to male, even though male typically have higher levels of testosterone, they also have varying levels of muscle fiber types. And some muscle fiber types are designed more for hypertrophying or bulking up of muscles, if you will. Uh, and some are designed more for endurance. And those muscle fibers will not necessarily develop in size, even if you try to. And that's why even some males really struggle to try to put on more size. So you're going to have a similar aspect with females. You're going to have different muscle fiber types that are going to influence whether or not females will develop more or less muscle. But possibly the biggest factor to take into consideration is the person's perception. And, and I've gotten frustrated on both sides of the coin because I've heard some of the science experts or fitness experts say, you know, unequivocally women cannot bulk up because that's what it says in the textbooks. But the problem is they're not taking into consideration what a specific woman in particular considers bulky. And I have worked with women who think, Certain body types are bulky where others may not. So the, the, the individual perception is, is important of all clients, and it's a great way to, to um, when I'm working with, with women, is try to find out what exactly they mean by bulky, what do they consider too much, and whether or not it's really a fear. And then I can start to address a little bit more of the science, and if there are certain types of training that may influence this bulking concept more, of course, we may try to, to stay further away from it and then and work a little bit more within a kind of a, we'll call it a safe zone. But you can still work very hard. You can still lift weights. You can still train in different ways. And a lot of this functional training concept is more integrated and not as about specific muscle fatigue. It's more about a total body fatigue. And that's a way to develop some muscles, burn some fat, and improve functionality all at the same time. And for people who want to get in touch with you, they can go to 
movementfirst.com. Here's another one. Cardio or resistance training? I want to lose weight. Which one should I do? <laughs> Both. So let's talk about that a little for a little bit. Sure. The, uh, well, for one, I, I do reference that there's, and I hear that a lot, I hear the two that lead the discussion are usually either nutrition or cardio. So people say, well, losing weight, that's all about cardio, right? Or that's all about nutrition, right? And I say, no, it really is about all of them. And we should throw in the resistance training that is just as much a part of, especially lean body mass and, and changing body composition. But also, you, I throw in a fourth category, which is your everyday activity. How much are you walking? How much are you taking stairs? How much are you trying to try to give equal value to that? Even if you're not burning as many calories, certainly per minute, but even if you're not burning as many calories, it's still the commitment to movement and continuing to move as much as you possibly can throughout the day. It all has something. It's all going to go somewhere in a positive direction. Again, if you're smart about how you do it. Here's another one. The fat burning zone on our treadmills in every gym in America. The fat burn, moderate aerobic work puts you in the ideal fat burning zone. Tell us about that one. Well, the quickest way I can get through that is to ask people if they would rather have 60% of a dollar or 40% of $2. Uh, 60% 60 of a dollar is going to be 60 cents. 40% of $2 is obviously going to be 80 cents. Now, don't, you don't have to take those numbers literally, but there's, there's a percentage difference. When you train at a lower intensity, and that's what the fat-burning zones have you doing, you'll train at a lower heart rate, a lower training zone, and a higher percentage of fat is going to be used, but it doesn't mean it's coming from a higher total number. So if you consider dollars to calories, that 100 calories burned, if 60% of it happens to be from fat versus 200 calories burned at 40% fat, you could still theoretically be burning more fat at the higher intensities. So that doesn't mean just go crazy with your intensity either, but, but the fat burning zones, again, they tend to be very misleading because you, A, you're not burning as many calories, at least not per minute, and, and if you want to burn more fat, you'd have to go longer. So the lower training zones are fine, but if you're really looking to use it to burn calories and burn fat, uh, you've got to go longer. But if you also go, if you go to the higher intensities, there's another benefit with the higher intensities that go way beyond just what you're doing in the 30 minutes or 45 or 60 minutes of your workout, and that's what you're doing for your body to improve fitness. And as you improve fitness, you improve your body's ability to use fat for energy even when you're at rest. So, again, the fat-burning zone tends to be a little misleading, and it doesn't mean that you have to just go crazy with high intensities, but as we work with different progressive intensities and throw in some intervals that don't have to be extreme intensities either, we can start to influence the body a lot more so that we actually have a more efficient use of our time and more effective use of body fat loss. I've got 40 seconds left. Real quickly, machines are safer than free weights. True or false? Well, you know, I've actually seen, uh, I'll, I'll say this, it all depends on how people use it. Uh, and I've seen that there have been more people injured on machines, uh, and I'm not sure if that's an actual research study. But, uh, you know, if, if you can learn proper progressions with free weights, it is recommended because it adds a little bit more stability and functionality to the body. There's a little bit more of a transference to real life. But, you know, again, if, if the machine is all that you like to do and you can get in and it's, it's either that or nothing, I'll say go ahead and stay with the machines. 
But you need form and alignment and setup for both. We could go on forever, I'm sure. I have thousands of questions I could ask you. You are the fitness expert, the senior consultant in exercise for American Council on Exercise. People can reach you. You're very comfortable and always stimulating to talk with, and you leave everyone feeling successful. So please, uh, folks, look up Chris at movementfirst, one word, movementfirst.com, and get in touch. I'm sure that uh, you'd be delighted to talk with people beyond this. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you, Chris. Look forward to seeing you when you're out here in San Diego again. And thanks very much for coming on with us. I'd like to thank all of you listeners who joined us today. And as always, I encourage you all to subscribe to the podcast and continue your journey to health and fitness by visiting acefit.com, where you'll find everything you need to live your most fit and healthy life. You can explore literally thousands of healthy recipes, health and fitness videos and articles, workout plans, health programs, and creative ways you can get yourself and your family moving, and really expert insight on a wide range of topics. So join me next time on 15 Minutes to Wellness, which you can find at acefit.com slash fitcasts. I'm Dr. Michael Mantell, thanking you for being with us on 15 Minutes to Wellness. Wellness.